Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, it is Graham McMillan versus Jeff Lester versus Batman versus Superman versus I Hate the Internet by Jared Kobeck. Yes, in this two-hour-plus spoiler-rich episode, we discuss all the in-and-outs of BVSDOJ, the DC Rebirth announcements, rumors of Suicide Squad reshoots, and the amazing new book by friend of the podcast, Jerry Kobeck. Tough but fair. Show notes are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello! Hello there, sir. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on. You've had all of Saturday to relax. Listeners, we're recording a Saturday night, as opposed to Saturday morning, as opposed to Thursday afternoon, which we used to do. Yeah. I kept bouncing all of our schedules. But Jeff, you've had Saturday to recover from the week. That is true. That is certainly true, Graham. Uh, I just, unfortunately, due to the nature of some of the chore running that I, I did today, I don't feel as relaxed as I would like. You know, I'm sure at some point that I will, but frankly, instead of uh, instead of lounging around reading comic books, as was the plan, I actually am... Uh, the storage space that I rent is being sh- is shutting down in two months. Oh God! Yeah, so they they sent us a little note being like, "Hey, get out!" Funny story. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, I've got some time to do it, but so today it's. But of course, now that I work all the time, it's like, oh, this is what the weekends are for dealing with bullshit that makes you wish you were dead. So I. But what's funny is previously. Yeah. Your work schedule had you working on the weekend. That is true. Like, like our weekend was your work week. That is true. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's it's it really is a crash course on. Oh, this is what Saturday's for. Oh, totally, exactly. Which is what I'm learning because uh, I had gone so long where I worked every Saturday so dutifully that I I really I'm completely at a loss as to how it works. So. Uh, yeah, so the apparently is mm-hmm. when you work, because I used to remember, you remember uh, quite some time ago now, but I used to work weekends as well. Mm. And the weird thing about that is you forget that your days off then are the days everyone else has off as well, mm. or at least mm-hmm. I did. So I remember when I had Saturdays and Sundays off again. Mm. Yes. I had this of like, where's everyone come from? Yeah, totally. Well, see, that's it. And it I used to be like this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, and, and that, that, that was one of the things that was really hard to give up when I made this transition was before I had days off during the week. And days off during the week are like, yeah, they're extra days because there's – there's not nearly as many people on the street. There's not nearly as much competition for parking. There's not nearly as much, just not as much. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just, so yeah, it's kind of, uh, ah, anyway, so bittersweet, bittersweet. I, I'm, I'm getting used to it. And, and of course there is part of me where I'm also kind of, unlike our Thursday afternoons or our Saturday mornings, this is hitting me at the end of the day where I'm just like, Okay, Graham, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just kind oh, of... Oh, this would be great! Yeah, uh-huh. It's so, okay, everyone. This is the podcast where I tell you that Batman vs. Superman is is great. I, I can't even say that with a straight face to myself <laughs> just to wipe you up. Um, well, 
Well, but okay, but but this is one of those things that I did sort of very dutifully. Um, I don't know. Prep myself isn't the right term, but I I you was saw Batman versus Superman, which I honestly didn't think you're going to. Oh yeah, uh, listeners. Earlier this week, Jeff and I were talking about doing the podcast and email, and. I said something along the lines of, did you actually go and see it? Because obviously I did. Not only did I have to for work, but I like Man of Steel. Like, I actually am the target audience for this film. That's right. Of course I went to see it. Mm -hmm. But I genuinely was not sure if you were going to, Jeff. Yeah. No, I I wanted to be able to talk about it on, on, on the old podcast. I thought it would be... If nothing else, I sort of enjoyed the idea of, in fact, I will... Undoubtedly, no matter how this conversation goes, we'll probably um, write the tweet promoting this episode as Batman versus Superman versus Jeff versus Graham versus the Internet. So <laughs> I don't even necessarily think that those things may end up being true. But in my mind, I'm like, OK, this is going to how it's go. Well, let me let me talk. Let me talk about Batman versus Superman first. Let's and then. Do. Yeah, so Sunday night, my uh, wonderful wife and I went to the movie theater to go see uh, Batman I, versus Superman. I yeah. apologize for laughing, but my first thought was honestly, you made Edie sit through it? Okay, this is the thing. Edie likes Batman. She was like, she was pretty, she was pretty down with the idea of seeing Ben Affleck as Batman. Also, Edie is one of those amazing individuals where she has a um uh she's read comics before not a lot you know but one of the one of the ones that she had read is she's read dark knight returns so you know she recognized the little bat cyborg suit when it popped up in the trailers and was kind of like ooh I, what's this about yeah i want to see this you know so uh, we went to the Alamo Draft House, which I figured was the best way to kind of see it because it was like, okay, we can get food and drink and have dinner while we're watching this. And sure. um, I, I think, you know, part of me, unfortunately, it was on a Sunday night. And so because I was going back to work the next morning, I couldn't be like drinking, you know, ordering a beer every 20 minutes. So <laughs> we end up in our seats. And for people who don't know, the Alamo Draft House, you, it's, it's assigned seating in the sense of you buy your ticket you pick out your seat. Uh, and we got seats that were kind of a little f too far over on the side, but it was, you know, it was only like a 30, 35 seat theater. It was, it was not, it was playing in 3d downstairs at the mega thing, but you know, fuck that shit. So we were there for the two, 2d screening. We get settled in. It's, we're kind of off to the side and it was sort of, it was great. I was talking to Edie. Of course, they're showing all sorts of Batman and Superman themed uh, commercials and mainly commercials, mainly the old toy commercials from the 70s. But occasionally, you know, the the uh, occasional bit of uh, Turkish Superman movie or what have you. And uh, to the to the right of me is my wife. To the left of me is this family of three, a woman, the Basically, what I took to be a husband and wife and their college-age daughter. Uh, so the woman was, I want to say, maybe either my age but a real fuddy-duddy or maybe 10 years older and not as much of a fuddy-duddy. And, and bless her heart, she sat down. She was very excited to be at the Alamo and be like, oh, we're ordering food? Gosh, how does this work? And, you know... And she sort of, she just seemed very jovial and was kind of like, oh, so, you know, I, I, 
I'm here to see this movie because I don't understand why Batman and Superman are fighting. They're supposed to be friends. And I'm like, well, I guess this movie will tell us why. Exactly. This this movie will explain it. Yes. So uh, so the so the movie the best thing in in a way uh, for me this is actually I'll, I'll tell that later when I'm talking about the actual impressions of the movie. But at some point, just five minutes before the movie starts, uh, a guy who's like twenty something like sort of ambles into the theater and ends up in the last seat in the row, basically right next to Edie, you know, manages to flag down uh, the the waiter and get some food. We all settle in. We all watch the film. And during the course of the movie, at several points, there is a stifled laughing that I cannot tell if it's coming from Edie or the guy next to her. Which, fortunately, I am able to discover at the end of the film when uh, the credits start rolling and the guy turns to us, we had exchanged no words whatsoever, and said, that was terrible. That was terrible. And then he laughed and was like, that made no sense whatsoever. No sense at all. Awful. (laughs) Gets up and pretty much dashes out. Edie looks as if... Um, I've seen this look and it is, and it is the look of someone who has had to endure excruciating boredom for like a very extended period of time. And the woman to the left of me basically didn't look much better. She actually looked, um, she looked concussed basically, as far as I can tell. Now, Weirdly enough, I sort of think that maybe her husband and daughter were way more versed in the comic universe because they seemed more or less jazzed. Mm -hmm. For myself, I have to say that uh, I – so basically looking at a sample set of four, um, we had one person who – actively hated it one person who actually was so bored they left their body another person who i can't really tell what happened and myself for whom i have to say uh i it was eye candy ish enough that um that i was not bored that i and i think that's about as strong as i can go <laughs> honestly i mean there were th- every once in a while I, I mean, I have to say that I cannot hate any movie that actually, like, if there was ever going to, if I had to place odds on which superhero movie was going to ha- feature a quote from Lolita, it was not going to be Superman versus Batman, so. Uh, so uh, Jeff, so I, I've got to tell you, uh, I, th- I said this on Twitter earlier on this week, and I genuinely mean it. Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, to give it its full title. Yes. Um is what happens when you give someone who has no taste and no sense of subtlety a lot of money. Yeah. Because what comes out is not dull at all, mm-hmm. but has as many like moments of accidental genius as it do, does just disasters. Yeah. I was spellbound. Mm. <laughs> and here's the thing. I think I like it. Yeah. I see it a second time. I genuinely would. I almost did this week. I almost did too, but honestly, Graham, that's just more from me being like, 
I swear to God, the next morning it was like, did we take elephant tranquilizers and watch that movie? Like, I honestly was had trouble reconstructing more than like five scenes. So I I went to the opening screening at mm-hmm. the local theater at the Baghdad. Uh, first of all, I have to tell you, I've never been to such a demographically diverse cinema screening in my life, and that includes the first screening of Star Wars there. Wow. Star Wars was basically people my age and kids, right? Mm-hmm. Batman v Superman was honestly like five year olds to eighty year olds. There were gangs of old people. I am mm-hmm. not exaggerating. Mm-hmm. I saw at least three different groups of people who looked at least in their seventies. Mm-hmm. Very excited before the movie started. <laughs> Uh, I could, I, that still freaks me out. I still don't understand what the fuck that's about. Um, the they were all before the movie. It, I think it's fair to say ha, the uh, anticipation was half between. I want to see this film and I want to see how bad this film is. Mm-hmm. Definitely, the the word of mouth of this film is going to suck was there. Mm-hmm. Like the, definitely an anticipation for it to be a disaster. I laughed really early. The movie out loud and couldn't stop myself and felt bad because the people I was beside I was beside were totally digging the bit I was laughing at. Which is spoilers when Bruce Wayne as a kid is lifted up in Christ pose by the bats. Mm, mm-hmm. Which I honestly I could I just laughed. I was like, oh god, this is this is even worse than I could have imagined. Sure enough, the people next to me who are eh, late twenties, early thirties. Um we're like, we're like, of course. Do you know what I mean? Like, this right. is this is this is great. This mm-hmm. is taken seriously. Um, whereas I was just like, oh my god, he, he's he's le- reaching that heavy into the Christ thing already. Little knowing that a movie released in Easter weekend would feature fucking Superman dying and coming back to life. Right. Although, drop. Yeah. Um. Oh, that's, that's right. We should probably say spoiler warnings, but everyone who's got interest in this film will have seen it by the time this comes out, right? Probably. But yeah, people, there's going to be no way we can talk about this without discussing all of it. Because, uh, yeah. But yeah, so I so I laughed at that. I laughed. There was a bit li- uh, later on where I laughed, and I totally didn't mean to. Oh, Lex Luthor at the very end. Jesse Eisenberg mm-hmm. uh, doing his face through the bars because... And maybe this is just me. I got really amused by how weirdly mushy Jesse Eisenberg's face looked when he pressed through the bars. Like, I really did. I got weirdly fascinated by that. I was like, he's such a weird face. And he's doing his old, he's coming. And I was like, his face looks really weird. It's yeah. Just, yeah. He's such a mushy little face. Little pretty face, Jesse Eisenberg. Um, but there were also parts that I just, like, genuinely loved. Mm-hmm. Like, genuine, I did not expect to love. Hmm. Um, the the dream sequence where he's uh, it's like you know Batman's in his coat and he's trying to get the night and oh no here are the power demons the bit immediately after that with Flash comes back from the future mm-hmm. I love that well of course you were going to love that no, I mean but I love that it's I love that because it's so hilariously uh, bold but also like fuck you everything that i'm putting this film which is already massively overlong on pause for two minutes while i set up not the next film not the film after that but the film after that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. something so wonderfully ballsy about that mm-hmm. that i genuinely love mm-hmm. 
Um, even though I was like, is that the Flash? Is that Ezra Miller? I, I, I guess is it. Is that is that Ezra Miller for like the whole thing? But like, I loved that. Uh, Wonder Woman, I thought was great. Mm-hmm. Everything Gal Gadot showed up in, I thought she was enigmatic enough. Even though she has no fucking personality in the film. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I it, honestly, after I saw it, I came back and because I had to like write about it the next day, I was like, I should actually think about this film as opposed to, because I left the theater pretty much like, I don't know what I just saw. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? Um, but the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I like it and I like it in this, the, uh, I like it in like an almost con- contrarian way. Mm-hmm. Because I kept thinking while watching it, if nothing else, this is entertaining me in its like complete overblown pomposity mm-hmm. in a way that I just know that Civil War isn't going to. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you see Batman and Superman like doing their, I mean, the stupidest fucking fight. I'm going to put, I'm going to knock you out with a sink. I mean, it's it just dumb shit. But honestly, there was something about that where I was like, you know, I I really would rather watch this and watch Robert Downey Jr. say we used to be friends to Chris Evans. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know? Uh, so yeah, I, I, but, uh, so I was talking to, I was talking to someone yesterday and she hadn't seen it. Uh-huh. And she was like, have you seen it? I was like, yeah. And she's like, did you like it? I was like, yeah. And she was like, should I go and see it? And I could not in any clear conscience tell her to go and see the film. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I was like, I liked it. It's a car crash. Mm-hmm. I mean, it terribly is. It's a it's a film that, while you're watching it, you're like, oh, you could cut that out. Like, immediately. Mm-hmm. I have no desire to see not only Bruce Wayne take the cloth off his car, but to then have a close-up of the brand of the car before <laughs> the car drives away. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was that clumsily edited. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's a disaster. But yeah. It's a watchable disaster. Well, see, and I, so I think that's it. Like, in some ways, the weird part is it kind of reminded me of when I went and saw The Avengers, and I was talking to you about that afterward. And The Avengers was really kind of like, I don't know. It was like, I rem- I had that weird thing of like kind of sitting there feeling emotionally cold to all of it and then feeling strangely good when I left the theater and being like, Oh, I guess I enjoyed it. Like I didn't like it, but I enjoyed it. And there was something very similar to me for Batman V Superman, Dawn of justice, where it was to me, it's, you know, the last few years I've really gotten into the, buying comics just for the art, so to speak, which was never where my heart was at, you but, know, but for if so you, long. But if you like that, I can totally see how Batman versus Superman would appeal to you. Right. Because it's, it's kind of the same aesthetic. Yeah. There, there are moments in this film which genuinely look great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which really do. Just moments that are, like, just entertaining and the way things are put together and, like, uh... Whatever they did to manage to make Batman look like an actual fully functioning human being when he fought as opposed to like, you know, a robot who knows Kung Fu. Like, it, it, you know, there was a variety of things that were great there. That being said, like, as a Batman fan, I was like, Ugh. but, you know, well, I'll get to that. I, I, I said this the day after and I, I should have said it. I should have said it somewhere. People are paying attention. God damn it. But, um, but Batman was Wiley e. Coyote in that film. 
<laughs> it really was. Uh, like, he, he was, he, Batman, I, I, while I understand that it's the Superman purists who are going to be upset because they're still upset about Man of Steel, right? Mm-hmm. It strikes me that Batman purists have a lot more to be upset about in Batman v Superman because A, their guy is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And E, he's dumb as shit. Well, okay. He is easily manipulated. He, Ben Affleck, bless him, puts in a good performance apart from when he is required to act emotionally intense mm-hmm. when he would rather just look like he would have cartoon steam coming out of his ears. <laughs> And his his entire plan consists of I will make this new weapon from Acme Weapons, and that will take down Superman. <laughs> I, uh, I so well okay. There, to to roll things back, interestingly enough, uh, for me, um, I was way more upset by this. I mean, in, it was almost at a Zack Snyder took Tim Burton's previous disregard for the idea of Batman and guns and took it to a whole new level. Like this Batman was so ridiculously gun crazy in so much of this that it was, I mean, admittedly the worst excesses of that occurred during the, the dream sequence, you know, where he's like jumping around, like shooting people and cold cocking them with a shotgun. But like there were also scenes of course, where the, the, you know, bat, jet or whatever breaks out some serious heavy duty you know gunfire to just blow the shit out of out of criminals and i was just like yeah that's not that's not batman which is interesting because by the end of the batman versus superman uh fight the the final fight batman is coming is like a straight up unhinged lunatic and but he kind of is for the majority of the film. The film yeah. only works if you take f- as a starting point that when Bruce Wayne is seeing the end of Man of Steel, mm-hmm. and I don't know if this is meant as a meta joke or not, and it genuinely might be that he had a nervous breakdown mm-hmm. and that he he genuinely lost sight of his his himself. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you about that, because I have to say, okay, first off, before we get into plot specifics, I think it's very important to the listeners that they know that the plot is garbage. It is hot garbage. (laughs) This movie, this is the only movie I can think of in recent history where everyone's motivations slash action scenes more or less have to be goosed by dream sequences and if you are lucky, as Graham said, it will eventually pay off that the dream sequences have, like, a meaning. Even no, Lex no, Luthor no, had no, a dream no. one, sequence one that will. got cut. Well, okay, so let's let's talk about this for a second, because this movie is two and a half hours long. There's yeah. a version that's coming out that's half an hour longer. Yes. Right? Yeah. When I first, when I saw Batman v Superman, I could not imagine a longer version of the film. Could oh, not. I could. I, Interesting. Well, yeah. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. Then they released a, a deleted scene, mm-hmm. and the deleted scene is actually kind of important for the plot of the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I realized there's a lot of stuff that should be in the film that isn't. Yeah. yeah for yeah, example, yeah. how do Lois and Superman know that Batman is Bruce Wayne? Because they do by the end of the film. They call him Bruce. Oh yeah, but that one. When pr- did they find that out? Lois. Uh, doesn't matter. I, I think I feel I feel that one I thought was was kind of a gimme because uh, because you show Clark 
listening. Clark has listening in on Bruce and Alfred talking at the party. So for me, it's kind of like, oh, okay, that's that's yeah, more or less the scene where Bitch, where Bruce Lois is. Is the one that calls him Bruce? What's that? Lois is the one that calls him Bruce. Oh yeah. Well, I don't know. You know, at that point, you figure what they have. You know. That information, sure. There's other shit, though, Graham. I mean, there's so much oh, dumb there's shit. So much there's shit. so much stuff where it literally, like, the big turning point of the film in which Luther blows up, like, a Senate meeting with Holly Hunter, Fridge's Holly Hunter. Uh, oh, which is, I, okay, A, I know it's terrible, but the, the piss joke? Yes. I did think it was funny. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, it's the I, one part I where everyone laughs. Did laugh yeah. At the it, joke. Yeah. I think. I. I mean, honestly, there's like maybe four jokes in that movie, and that's that's one of them, and it's probably the best one. You know. But but that thing, the whole place blows up. Superman is the only person left alive, and Batman's like clearly. Batman, as Superman blew that up with his super farts, I will now kill him. And I'm like, everything about that scene is totally like, it's impossible to get there from there. It's literally impossible. Everything of that scene smacks of like they blew up the Senate conference room to either try and kill Superman or to make him look bad. But then for Batman to basically poop himself and be like, that's it. I've had it. I'm going to going to beat that creep up there's a sequence where batman is about to uh stop lex luther from uh you know basically steal the kryptonite shipment away from him superman pops up out of nowhere knocks you know the batmobile over like a toy and says basically give it up yeah you're give give up you're over it's done you're over consider this an act of mercy and i was like what why where did this come from? What? Like, it's just, it's a very, there, and, and I mean, that's even, but okay, so, so much of this movie is just, is, is, like, the idea that Batman's an idiot is this movie really takes plot hammering to the next level because there is so much shit that happens precisely because it has to happen. Like, for a long time, I spent a certain amount of time being like, why the fuck would Batman put a make a kryptonite spear, you know? And the kryptonite spear only motherfucking makes sense when uh, it's the big showdown between Superman and Doomsday, and he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna," ah! and you're like, "Oh, okay." Uh, see, no, I will, I will give them that because I think Batman is a nuts in this film, and B, you see quite clearly that Batman wants to kill Superman by driving, literally driving a spear through his heart when he's at his weakest. Because he's literally about to do it. Yeah, no, I, I yeah. totally buy that in a in a, Batman in this film is toxic masculinity and so he wants to kill him in the most masculine way properly uh, possible, which is by penetrating him. So, like, I, I 100, like, I get what you're saying, and mm-hmm. you're probably right, mm-hmm. but that wasn't one of the, the massive plot holes for me. See, whereas for me, I, I'm not saying it's a plot hole per se, because when it first uh, happened, what's that? It's a, th- it's a gimme. It's yeah. A, see, I don't know. Like, it's it's like you know, I'm trying to think of one in another film, but you know, things where you realize at the end of the film, oh, that was Chekhov's gun all along. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think so, I, man. I, I, I mean, no, but that's what I'm saying. I don't think like I that didn't strike out. That didn't stand out to me as one of those. That I, I, I bought. I bought the like he he 
Of course he made a spear. Why not? He also made, like, kryptonite gas, and what was the other thing he made? He made something else. He had the gas. At one point, he's just hammering them with weapons and the sound stuff, and then, you know, and then he's got the punchy suit. But I'm kind of like... I don't know. For me, it was the punchy this, suits. <laughs> you know? Uh, okay, but Alfred, let me ask you. Bring me my punchy suits. Right. Bring me my punchy suit, Alfred. So, so here's the thing that I did not understand that I was completely to roll it back. Like, apart from all the stuff that is just like deliberately nonsensical, there was stuff that was happening in the very beginning. I mean, and Graham, come on. What, what was the fucking point that Lex Luthor is like using his special Lex Luthor bullets? At like the 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 scene where like supposedly oh, Jimmy Olsen gets killed, like come on, the Graham, no, that's about as bad. That's even no, worse. No, no, no. I I will give you that one. Who the fuck knows? Yeah, who knows? My Lex Luthor had to use special bullets. Well, actually, I can kind of see a point, but it's a dumb point. Like it's there as a mechanic to get Lois involved so that she knows there's something up, right? Yeah, yeah the, it's also kind of you could make an argument that it's there to show that the government is in cahoots with Lex, except you already do that in a much better way mm-hmm. by having Lex essentially manipulate the government so that he gets control of the Kryptonian ship. Right. Like, it's, it's an entirely unnecessary thing. Well, it's not... No, how do I put it? The thing is, is half the stuff that happens in the movie happens to move the plot forward or to make the pieces of the plot fall together like that. It doesn't really have anything that would make any sense in real life. And I'm, I'm not the sort of person who usually thinks about that stuff, but because the movie was so relentless in not making sense, it more or less forced me to now also Bruce Wayne during the whole you know, climactic fight of Man of Steel and the city's falling apart and he's driving around like it's like the world's most apocalyptic car commercial. He's hollering into the phone, who's the dude in Wayne Tower? It's just a dude. It's not just a dude. I could have sworn. He didn't yell dad or some point. No, he no, yells no. something no, at no, some doesn't. point. No, he doesn't. Okay. Because I was like, that no, is. No, it's literally just a dude. Like he says his name and it's something completely random. Like dad. No, it's like Andrew or something. Drew Dad. <laughs> Drew. Jeff, just because your hearing is fading. Oh, man. You actually, so... you actually see Bruce Wayne's dad die because, of course you do. It's a fucking Zack Snyder movie. Well, okay, I'm just <laughs> checking. There was one point where, where Bruce Wayne loses his shit and they make it seem like it's an important sequence and the guy's there like staring and watching the building be sliced into half. And I'm kind of like... Who gives a shit? It almost worked, but you know what I mean? Like, there was just... Oh, there's... there's No, but that's... All of that is terrible. Right. You get, you get uh, the guy from Halt and Catch Fire going, We're family, right? I've lost my legs, so later on I can blow up and then say we're family and you failed me. Yeah, yeah. all of that is terrible. Or Bruce Wayne rescues the little girl who's like, My parents were killed by Superman in that building. Right. So, he, so Ben Affleck can go... Cartoon steam coming out of my ears. Yeah. Yeah. All, all of that is just... Uh. Right. So, and also, I, I I had no memory of Jimmy Olsen in the original Man of Steel. Is he in there? No, and is that not there. Oh, okay. So that dude who gets killed by... Uh, in, who's the CIA operative who's like... Gets Lois in all the trouble during the beginning shootout. 
Does anyone refer to him as Jimmy Olsen? Because I was just like, that's no, just it's, some it's douche. One of, no, no, no one does in the film. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, Zack Snyder, in an interview, as he's done in lots of interviews since, says, oh, here's a piece of information you might have wanted. For example, he's also been like, yeah, see that thing with Cyborg? That's definitely a mother box. Oh, yeah. No, I sort of figured that out. Oh, my God. Let's talk about the worst Justice League cameos in the world. With the example... Love them. Oh, it was so hilariously they, like you. You honestly felt like they filmed that maybe six months after the rest of the film, didn't you? I did, and I actually felt that it was like given to a bunch of students at like UCLA who like won a contest or something. Because that maybe, shit was. Don't forget, someone did win the Doritos contest to work <laughs> with Snyder. Maybe that's <laughs> it. He was like. Uh, yeah, I, 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 again, I like that, but it, it's, it's such hilarious. It's hilariously things. bad, Graham. It's hilariously bad. It's hilariously bad. I'm sorry. I cannot accept any other answer. Than... No, no, I, but again, Jeff, I, at no point am I going to argue this film was a good film. Okay. I, well, no... that's a relief because normally last time we talked, when you were talking about Man of Steel, your argument was, I like it, therefore it's a good film. And I'm, I hope that you realize the fallacy of your ways in that, in that regard. Okay, I definitely have, in that case. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm because just about Batman Superman, I would never argue that it's a good film. Right. Because it is, on almost every single level, I, I, a flaming car wreck of a film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is nonetheless a film I totally enjoyed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and the... I... I'd, Pay money for it. I may pay money to see again. Sure, sure. I, I, and I admit, part of me is like, I want to see that movie again in a I can't wait till it comes on HBO kind of way, but I can't imagine going and paying money. For, or it's not even a money thing. Well, it's a little bit of a money thing because once it's on HBO, there's kind of a I can't see myself veering out of my way in any fashion. Exactly. I can't see myself leaving my couch to watch it. Yeah, exactly. But, but, but if it's on, but like it's if it's on exactly. Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that being said, yeah, I think my favorite part of the movie is is actually the only moment of real tension for the movie with with me was like, holy shit, is Jason Momoa going to drown? Because I honestly thought that Aquaman <laughs> sequence. Oh, the Aquaman scene was hilariously bad. It was... I, I, I will give you that. I liked the Flash scene and I liked the Cyborg scene. In part, I liked the Cyborg scene just because it was the dude from fucking Eureka. And I was like, oh, Joe Morton showing up. See, Joe but, Morton. Uh, Joe Morton did Brother from Another Planet. I was like, oh, man, Brother from Another Planet. Like, but and but I, the Aquaman sequence was hilarious. The Aquaman sequence really did look like Jason was in some, the bottom of someone's swimming pool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and was told, just just fucking like, uh, look like you're about to hit something with the, your your spear. Totally. I mean, it was kind of that thing of like, they put him in the water. They're like, okay, now swim. And it's clear. There's a reason you don't show human beings swimming with tritons. It's because they can't. It took Jason Momoa <laughs> nine and a half minutes to swim close enough to the fucking camera to look like he was going to stab it with a triton. And that whole time, I'm like, he's going to fucking drown. He is going to... They've killed Jason Momoa just on the fucking teaser because no one could figure out that you can't swim with a fucking triton in one hand. I really was. I had that thing of like, why the fuck didn't you CGI this? If there was any part of this movie movie that i thought was going to be cgi it was going to be fucking momoa in the water like with a fucking trident instead uh, they threw him in the bottom of the swimming pool i swear to god the mother box effects with cyborg looked like they were created like 
Oh, the motherboard box of extra cyborg look like uh, the night before they shot that sequence. Uh, Zack Snyder was watching Super Eight, and he was like, "Ah, oh, cube." That moves. Okay, sure. That's a mother box. He was totally like, but I. But what's really important is I need someone who's a talented animator in a Flash, you know, to actually animate that. That was so animated so badly. And I'm sorry, the Flash thing. I was like, okay, it's not incompetent, but it was done at the level. It was done with all the visual zest of a Del Taco commercial. I mean, and sure. I, I again. Not arguing, but it worked for me. Ooh, wow. Also, when I saw him, I was like, really? Like, ugh. I don't know who that kid is, but I'm just like... No, no that, that's fine. You just you just have things against poor Ezra. His name is Ezra Miller, right? I'm not making that up. I have no... Who is that? That's the guy playing The Flash, I guess. But, yeah. like, why why did they cast yes, a 12-year-old? Did they feel they had to compete with, like, the, the Spider-Man thing or something like that i mean well first of all when the flash movie comes out it is going to be four years from now well great he'll he'll finally be hitting puberty by then because that that kid was like <laughs> that kid was seriously young it looks like he was born okay he was born in 2011 that makes sense oh no wait that movie was in 2011 okay he was born in 1992 yeah i am sorry graham this is oh my god what the hell <laughs> Wow. wow. Oh, uh, oh yeah. man. Okay. Did you like Wonder Woman? Yes, I did like Wonder Woman. I felt there was a couple of things that, that uh, again, I mean, okay, I very much like their approach to Wonder Woman. I felt that it was more or less on point. I'm glad that they did not indulge much in the, um, well, I, so there's... Uh, there's a couple of problems. One is, as a mysterious femme fatale, you already know it's Wonder Woman. So when you see the movie, it's a little bit like, Bleh. you know, the fact the it, what was surprising was the fact that they she seemed to have like even in her lack of personality, they gave her sort of reasons for that. And the scene between her and Bruce Wayne, where she's like, ah, little boys can't share. Like I'm like, okay, it's sort of ridiculous. But I liked it. I did. I liked I liked all the Wonder Woman stuff. When she yeah. shows up, the final fight with her and Doomsday and Superman and a little bit of Batman, I was like, this is perfectly watchable. I really enjoyed it, in fact. Uh, but but. I, I like that Wonder Woman in the film seems to be, I don't want to say the audience, but she seems to be bored with the film. Like the bit where she's boarding the plane and Batman and Superman are already fighting Doomsday, and she honestly just looks like, oh, these guys haven't fucking sorted out yet. Fine, I'll have to take care of it. And I loved that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was like, sure, I will. And, and yeah, the, the scene where she she says like, boys haven't learned to share, and she did just seem to be like, well, you kids just sort out your shit, right? Right. Which I really like. I appreciated. And then when she shows up as Wonder Woman. And she's pretty much just like, I've, it's a big monster. I've fought big monsters before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All of that seemed, it, it worked for me, not only as a, a an antidote to Superman and Batman being hilariously, I am feeling everything so much right now. Mm -hmm. um, but also just, she, she seems to be uh, good out as an actress seemed to be aware that the film was dumb mm -hmm. 
and wasn't trying to add additional pathos to it in any way. It, it was like, she's just showing up and getting the job done. Well, I, I could respect that. Right, but I think that's kind of, I mean, I think that's that's how they conceive of the character. Whether or not she manages to be, because <laughs> my worry was is that she was going to be just absolutely humorless. And that the great thing is Godot's note does give it a little bit of humor, but I don't necessarily think it's the movie as much as the construction of the really playing up the idea that she's an immortal and, and, and what that might mean. That being said, again, just like everyone else, the fact that they have the publicity still that, you know, she's trying to get back from Luther. Part of me is like, Oh, okay. That's kind of clever. The other part of me is like, it's a fucking digital photo. That means nothing. You know what I mean? Like, it was just at that thing of like, <laughs> why can't you have a real photo? Like, they were like, oh, yeah, because, you know, because it's all like USB heist. But the whole thing of like her being like, I've got to get that. It's something that belongs to me. And then and then it's I'm like, what, do you people not know how the Internet works? Like Lex Luthor's probably shared that on his Instagram like nine million times by now ridiculous ridiculous so uh, so yeah it was it was a real car crash of a movie i was not bored i have to say that my quote unquote worry is is that um i just don't i don't think like there there's some reports going around today that the the drop off was pretty goddamn steep it's 70 percent apparently yeah, okay. From, from first weekend to second weekend. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's pretty brutal. And but I'm also not surprised because honestly, I think apart from a few heart, apart from the hardcore who are going to see it, and some of the hardcore will love it, and some of the hardcore will hate it. Uh, I just feel most people are going to walk out of that being like, kind of like you said, just like I, you know, I can't recommend that you see it. You know, I think honestly, like I said, out of the out of the informal survey of four accidental survey, I was the only one who walked out of there not feeling like hours of my life had been forcibly ripped from me. You know? Which is interesting because again, I saw it with an opening night crowd, but that was a pumped crowd. Mm-hmm. That that was a gen. More people were excited than were not excited. Uh, more people were excited leaving that than were leaving Star Wars. Hmm. Well, Which was like genuinely surprising because I I honestly left going I don't know what I just saw mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I think I was the most negative one that I saw right yeah um but it it's I don't know I mean the other the other thing about the seventy percent drop which is really steep. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, is it dropped down to seventy? I had heard that it was originally like eighty-one percent. Is it's, it mellowed it's out? It's eighty-one from Friday to Friday, but then apparently Saturday, Sunday are expected to be better. Oh, okay, all right. And so it's seventy percent across the weekend. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Right, it does. Yeah. Okay. It's steep. I mean, it really is. Mm-hmm. But it's also not unbelievably steep. Like Fast and Furious Seven was in the Batman Superman slot last year, right? Mm-hmm. And it dropped sixty percent. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't seem massively different to me, especially seeing as Batman vs Superman earned more in its first weekend. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. A, the film's obviously going to be a success. I mean, it's already made like five hundred million dollars. Yeah, but it's a, it's to say the least, a polarizing car crash of a film. 
it's not a feel like it's not going to do Star Wars because everyone left Star Wars going, I love Star Wars. This mm-hmm. is Star Wars. I the child in me is sated. Yeah. And and you want to see it again because of that. Mm-hmm. This film if that was what they were hoping for, they very much fail. Oh yeah. This film bless Warners for saying we don't want to have that Marvel cookie if we want our filmmakers to have their voice. But bear in mind that when you do that, some of your guys' voices are going to be like Zack Snyder. Well, but don't you think I see this is my problem is is I felt that that Batman versus Superman felt like a very new fifty two comic book movie to me it didn't i i don't really know how much of it felt especially snydery it felt a lot more like injustice than it did feel like 300 i i I had the exactly the opposite reaction Hmm. i felt that it don't get wrong i think that it was snyder doing very much a new 52 version of the characters Mm -hmm. but i felt like it was a a Zack snyder film first and foremost Mm. Not much, well. much, more, much more so than Man of Steel was, for example. I yeah, feel this I suppose that's probably true. More of a yeah. sex I, I, I will give you. Uh, I will give you that. But what I'm, what I'm super interested in, it coming from this are two things. Mm-hmm. One, the Suicide Squad rumors that have just started over the last couple of days are fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Have you? I don't know if you've seen them or not, but basically the rumor is that Suicide Squad is getting heavy reshoots. Yes, to uh, to to give it more humor. To give it more humor. Because the the main reaction to the trailers were, oh, this looks like it's going to be a fun film. And apparently those who had seen the, the rough cut, it's not a fun film at all. Right, right. Like, it's just, the, the way I heard it described was, all of the funny bits are in the trailer. Right, right. Every and single joke in the movie is in the trailer. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is funny to me because I don't think it's an especially funny trailer. Mm-hmm. Like, I can think maybe like three jokes in the trailer. yeah. Yeah. Um, which also speaks to, wow, that must be a really fucking grim film if that's, if that's your, all your humor. But also, I'm really curious what Wonder Woman's going to be like now. Hmm. Because more than anything, Batman vs. Superman, and, and from what I've seen from what people are saying afterwards, Wonder Woman has been the thing that everyone has been singling out. Yes, absolutely. I, and so, as a Wonder Woman preview, mm-hmm. this is great. Yes. You know, the Wonder Woman's coming out in, I think, want to say it's June next year. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they've set it up great. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like there's so much pressure on Wonder Woman now not to suck. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel that you've primed an audience for a good Wonder Woman film. Yes. Well, I think I, there is I, that. I'm so worried that there's going to be so much second guessing about Wonder Woman now. Mm. That, like, they are going to manage to kill it by going, why don't we get Zack in here to do an edit? Why don't we see what Jeff, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Why don't we see what Jeff Johns thinks of this film? Why do, do you know what I mean? Just right. lots of, of, you know, Patty Jenkins has an idea of what she wants to do with the film. And then now that, you know, someone at Warner Bros. is going to be like, everyone's talking about Wonder Woman. We've got to really pay attention to that film. And then manage to single-handedly sink it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I, I think the I think the thing that was really good about uh, Batman vs. Superman being, or Wonder Woman's role in it is is that you could I think arguably go in just about any direction with it and have people be like, oh yeah, that that was the part that I liked in Batman versus Superman. You know what I mean? Like there was a lot of stuff. The idea that she seemed a little bit uh, above the rest of it, the fact that she was mainly committed first and foremost to helping people. 
you know, more heroic, a little more grown up. Like, we'll see how those things. But, you know, but it but there were also a lot of those scenes where she's slinking around in some awesome looking dresses that are very sort of where she's just somber, where you can't necessarily get a read on her. So I feel like they could go in any number of directions for the movie, whether that's playing up the humor, playing up the kick-ass elements of it, or playing up the, you know, a mortal who's well, actually here to help people kind of thing. I, th- I think you can. Mm-hmm. I think where, I think the, the risk is that you try and go in all of them. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think, I, I think that there is a genuine, or I think from me, there is a genuine concern that Warners will try and be all, they'll try and make it into all things for all people. And considering they're reshooting Suicide Squad, you know, I would say that, yeah, that's probably a very valid fear, you know? know, In the process, just remove all flavor from the film. Yeah. I guess, you know? Yeah. But okay, would you recommend Batman vs. Superman to people? Oh, God, no. So, no, see, no, 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 let's, no. Let's say there are people who listen to this podcast who haven't seen it, but we're on the fence. Well, I, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily know. Part of, me, part of me does. Part of me wants to say, if you want to see a, just a weird film, mm-hmm. like, cause it's not like Fantastic Four, which was an interesting failure, but was definitely a failure. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I can honestly say that Batman vs. Superman is a failure. Mm-hmm. I think it's like I think it's weird as shit, and I think it's a bad film. But like I keep saying, I really liked it. Right. Well, uh, well, I th- personally, I think my analogy is is pretty apt. Like I'm like, if you're the sort of person that will pick up a comic book because the art is pretty, sure, check check it out. I mean, honestly, you everyone who makes fun of me for being like. If you like Tony Daniel comics, go see Batman vs. Superman. It is the Tony Danielist type movie you will see <laughs> on the screen probably this year. It really it's it's oh my so God, busy. It would be great if there was a more Tony Daniel film. Yeah, I don't. I can't even imagine what that would be. Maybe Suicide Squad will show up and it will have the squad like parachuting, you know, while riding crocodiles, you know, and then it will be like, oh, okay, those guys who are riding crocodiles into combat but parachuted out of a plane with a crocodile strapped to them. Yeah. Okay. That was more Tony Daniel ish, you know, but generally I would have to say that this is a, so, so yeah, I'm like, if you are, if you are a, uh, a fan of quote unquote, like this kind of art, you know, that kind of art. And it really was, there were scenes in that, in, in the movie where I was like, maybe it's just because of the recent, um, amount of John Romita Jr. ishness in in DC or because that's one of the few things I followed outside of Batman. But I'm like, some of it seemed John Romita Jr. as shit. You know what I mean? Like just like some of the scenes where like Doomsday is just this like sort of skeleton at the heart of an inferno type thing, which is such a comic book image, but was done in kind of like a, like the, some of the action with him because it opens up the scope is set on these sort of long, narrow, you know, pans with like tiny figures in it and a lot of color and light. I was like, yeah, it's kind of it struck me as very remote Romita Jr. ish. So essentially what I'm saying is, is that, yeah, honestly, if you have, if you do not have an overly reverent take on Superman or Batman, but you sort of like 
seeing what people can do with the characters and you like seeing shit blow up and, and just, and don't, and kind of enjoy it when movies are insane. Like, I mean, you know, I like fast and furious five, six and seven slightly diminishing returns. And each one of those movies is plays hard and fast with physics and the actual, like the amount of sense that, that, its ability to actually understand what happens in the real world is pretty slight. So, you know, yeah, but, but it's not, how do I put it? It's, you have to be at a serious level. People who listen to this podcast, if you're either the sort of person who, who likes sort of serious cogitation about really, um, trivial things, then yeah, I would say go see them, this movie. Cause you'll spend, I, for me, like I said, when Lex Luthor drops that quote from Lolita in, I'm like, holy sh, what? You know, and I also kind of like, I wanted to ask you, what did you think about the decision, the decisions with Lex Luthor generally, but I think especially for me, the decision to up, to make him the, the one line that I actually sort of curtwanged with me that kind of seemed like, oh, okay. Like, here's the theme of the movie is, is at one point when he says he's, he's probably talking to Holly Hunter's, maybe his first, second encounter, but maybe not, maybe someone else. And he basically is like, oh, the magical thinking of orphaned boys, you know? And I was like, oh, I mean, you even get like saying like he's doing it because of his father. Mm -hmm. And then you get, uh, you see uh, Bruce Wayne's father die and then Superman sees his dad. Yes. In a hallucination. Like, so it's quite clearly the Father Issues, you know, Father Issues the movie, part 72. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I liked Lex Luthor. I didn't recognize him as any Lex Luthor I know. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, he seemed, he seemed very Jesse Eisenberg and not very Lex Luthor to me. Mm. But I thought he was a fun mustache-twirling villain. Mm-hmm. I, I thought Eisenberg clearly had fun with the um let's put this nicely penalty of his dialogue uh interesting because i actually i thought eisenberg worked really hard to sell it um uh, I, really yeah because there's a lot I, of I, scenes I, 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 I think he's re- I think he's having fun, but I don't. I wouldn't mm. say I. I uh, for me, if you if you look at the movie, and I could be entirely be wrong because he is, um, you know, because he is the most openly, unsurprisingly, as it turns out, Oedipal mess in the movie. Uh, a lot of his early scenes where he's all like, ooh, hoo, 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 there's a lot of scenes where you catch him looking really angry in off moments. Yes. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I like, I did like the fact that, and especially when he's giving his speech, yes, and his speech is just a complete fucking mess. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that scene. Yeah, yeah, I, um, I thought that was kind of interesting was, as well. It, it is one of the scenes in the films that that simultaneously does not actually serve a purpose and serves the best purpose in terms of illustrating who who the character is. Exactly, but it doesn't serve a plot purpose, unlike almost every other scene in the film. The, 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 the film is an overlong mess, but they work painfully hard to go, and this leads into this, apart from when Zack Snyder is um, masturbating uh, with the camera. 
Well, or he's trying to set up, uh, if we're being charitable, stuff that'll pay off oh, yeah, like yeah. three or movies that, from now. That, you know, I, I guess if he's not trying to set up the one room movie or the uh, the, the whole League. sequence with the Flash. I mean, that really is that that I, whole I, sequences. I still genuinely love it. I, I I love it even more if it doesn't pay off in the Justice. League oh movie. man. I, I, I will, honestly, I, I will, I really will love that scene more if there's no payoff for that Justice League. That will make me so happy. Cause also, and I, this is where I, I do sort of hew closer to your, it's a new 52 movie. But that was such a fucking shitty comic book move. Which the, having the flash pop up and. Yes, the, the, you practically needed a footnote going, pay attention to the summer's event. Well, yeah, exactly, and and I, and that's something else that I love about it as well. Mm-hmm. That it really is a, you know, this is like side foreshadowing. This is an advertisement for a future issue, right? You know, because it would have been one thing if the Flash hadn't said, "Am I too early?" <laughs> but that line in particular was so hilarious. It was like, "Oh, that's right." I should come back next film, you guys. Right, right. Oh, yeah, I I loved it. And honestly, I kind of wish that that had been the only time you've seen The Flash in the film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, it, it would have been more fun to me if they didn't do the, let's click through Lex Luthor's videos, which he is handily called WWCYFL and AQ. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, that. that's... There's a lot of... And the logos. Don't forget. He was yeah. like, oh, what kind of logos am I going to put on their folders? Uh, a light bulb? No, no. A farting telephone? No, no. Oh, oh, yeah, lightning bolt. You know, like, just like... Ugh. Hey, oh. I, I want to pivot away from this and ask, um, did you see Supergirl Flash? No. Jeff, it's uh, it's the anti-Batman versus Superman. I've I've heard that from more than one person. In fact, it's it's beautiful in that the Flash shows up to save Supergirl because she's in her her Kara Danvers disguise, mm-hmm. um, and the two of them never have a like even a pissing match. Mm-hmm. So Flash just shows up and he saves her, and he's like, "So I'm a good guy," and she's like, "That's great, I'm a good guy too," <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> And it's it's it really is it's as grim as Batman vs Superman is. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the world's finest episode of Supergirl is joyous, and I laughed more at Supergirl. But it's the it really was the the laugh of oh this is wonderful this mm-hmm. is delightful, mm-hmm. as opposed to in Batman vs Superman, this is painfully embarrassing for everyone involved. Right. Right. Uh, but, but then again, like, I'm, I, uh, it's something else I said on Twitter this week. I find Batman versus Superman, and this is me giving it far too much credit in that I am reading the emotional beats they intended to have in the film as opposed to the ones that are present in the film. Yeah. But I find it an infinitely more hopeful film than Civil War from what we've seen in the trailers. Wow, so you actually found the movie a more hopeful movie than a trailer. <laughs> yes. Let me explain. <laughs> uh, the concept of Batman vs. Superman is two strangers meet, think they're on opposing sides, 
and in the end are not friends because spoilers one of them is dead but they they find a common purpose and work towards it mm-hmm. civil war is two friends disagree about something and have a fight and I've always and and this is true of the comic as well. I have always found that so depressing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so depressing a concept. Yeah, because it, I mean, I totally get that it's hey, superheroes having a fight. That's like that's the gimmick. Mm-hmm. But the idea that and it's it's worse in the comics because they 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 were friends and they've been working together for so long and yada yada. But the idea two adults can disagree about something. So it has to become a fight is so childish. Mm-hmm. I like, I find it, it makes me sad. It really makes me sad. And from everything I'm hearing about the war film, there is no, um, there's not enough emotional catharsis to pay it off. Interesting. You know what I mean? Because in Civil War, it's not just and comic and and film. It's not just two friends have a fight. It's that they then have gangs who have a. F- Do you know what I mean? Like, imagine a crazy world, Jeff, where you and I disagree about something so much <laughs> that we not only fall out but we fight about it. Would you not be kind of upset if our friends chose sides? Uh, it's been like get it right together. Hmm. How do I put this? Or stay out of it or something? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Uh, you know, well, uh, okay. Uh, there's a, there's a, a plethora of things uh, here, but I'll, I'll take just a few and I'll, I'll keep it kind of brief. One of the things that I think to me is really fascinating, I, sp- I spend a lot of time griping about the the idea that the screenwriter's dictum to make it personal and make it matter to the protagonist uh has ended up doing some weird screwy things to superhero comics such that the only way that you can quote unquote make it personal for them you know is to take it the most literal way and have it be either they end up fighting Fighting someone who was formerly close to them or that the, the villain takes something extraordinarily personal from them and then it, then it sort of becomes, in other words, there's a, an element of vengeance to it, you know? Sure. Yeah. yeah. And that, that kind of bumps me out. There's, there is a thing I, and I assume that you are the same way, but are one of the, from, at least if Twitter's anything to go by, the minor- minority of of people who are into superhero comics but are not into wrestling. And <laughs> yes, that's true. And one of the things that is pretty common in wrestling is to have characters build alliances and then someone do a heel turn and then suddenly they are bitter enemies. And it plays out in the ring as as fights, and it's really, really, really that's that's like you know wrestling one hundred and one as far as I can tell. Like you said, I personally find that weird and distressing and and saddening. But I do think for people, uh, it is kind of a weird like you know. I, one of the things I sort of appreciated about, you know, Stanley's whole idea of having his superheroes fight is he more or less had them fight 
kind of by accident in a lot of cases. And so, you know, you manage to get your like, oh, who's who's stronger? But there wasn't necessarily an aspect of, uh, oh, these people hate each other. You know, unless you're sort of talking about like, I don't know, Thing and Hulk or something like that. But you could still walk out of, put down your average issue of Marvel team up and be like, oh, okay, these guys, they fought. Then they put together their differences to beat the bad guy. Then they shake hands. Or maybe if Jerry Conway's writing them, they actually then... Uh, bitterly disagree and and both fly off pissed. You know, it's it was kind of like, oh, okay, that's you know. So I I so I feel like there's a number of factors that sort of boil down to the idea of like it's just it's the way that the formula is. It's not something that I really have ever liked. You know, um, but, but is is Batman versus Superman not the formula in a way that Civil War isn't? Well. But I think because Graham, it is. But okay. but okay, because I honestly I do think the other thing that I really appreciated about Batman versus Superman is when you watch Batman versus Superman, you realize that the trailer for Batman versus Superman is essentially a two minute and fifty second comic book cover. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. it has all the stuff that you're going to see inside, but it totally misleads you makes you second guess it incorrectly does all these things to where to make you think that you're going to see one thing that and then when you actually read the comic inside you're like oh okay like right the cover sort of tricks you but sort of doesn't and so at least for me one of the things that i walked out with from batman versus superman is like eh, i'm very loath to first off i'm not such a big just the whole like dc versus marvel in like the film thing just i find it tiring generally but but part of me is like i would rather have the conversation about civil war after we see it rather than sure. judge it on on a trailer and, yeah and it's no you're you're 100 percent right it's it's just that i it's a reaction against people saying that batman versus superman is a hopeless film mm-hmm. and b I honestly kept thinking about Civil War when I was watching the film. Hmm. I just repeatedly thought about it. Well, I, I will, which I part, think part yeah. of it is it's my job. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like I am actually paid to think about shit like that. Yeah. I, I, I yeah, I, I ask me when Civil War comes out because mm-hmm. we both know I'm probably going to be there opening night. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, again, there, you'll probably be there opening night. I'm sure I'll be there so that we can talk about it on the, on the podcast. But there's also, to me, also an element of, how do I put it? Like, you know, Batman versus Superman ends with Superman being dead. And if it wasn't for the idea of like, well, of course, he's not going to stay dead. That's great. But also, the last shot of the film is the Earth that admittedly... This is a call-out that most people will probably not know about if they hadn't just watched Man of Steel like I had. But then the last shot of the film is Earth floating the same way that it floats just before he takes off in Man of Steel. Oh, okay. Great. I totally missed that. I'm like, the yeah, floating Earth thing that, sounds, seems familiar, so yeah. But that's just it. Like, mm-hmm. It's like it's a subtlest shit call-out. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it's uh, it literally ends with, oh, he's not dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I, uh, so, yeah, in a very subtle way, in a yeah, very no, no, subtle, no, easy to miss exactly. way, mind you. But yeah, sure. Sure. And yeah. again, there's half an hour of more film out there and chances are there is another scene of him coming out of the coffin being like, I am not dead. You know, I feel like there was this there was some scene where, uh, God, who the fuck is it? Um, there were a couple of scenes early on in the film that are so short and so truncated that made me think that like, Oh, maybe that's where they like, I think, I feel like there's there's... an entire subplot with different characters cut out of the film, Jeff. Wow. Really? Yeah. Huh? Like characters that we haven't seen at all or Jenna Malone's in there as Barbara Gordon. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Interesting. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, there's also, so there is the communion scene that the, the Warner Brothers released, mm-hmm. which is, is setting up more fourth world stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in there as well. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there, there's, fuck knows. We've talked about this film too much. We're more than an hour in and we should really be talking about I Hate the Internet. Yes. Let's talk about I Hate the Internet. Let's, let's talk about something that we actually liked, liked. <laughs> Although that being said, it sounds like you liked, liked it more than I liked, liked it. So... Let's... Yeah, I loved it. Did you? I, 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 I loved it in a way that I haven't loved a book since I was in my twenties and reading Philip K. Dick. Wow! And that's despite the fact that I really don't like the end of it. Mm, yes, actually, I had so much I, troubles with the end of it that it sort I, of. I, I, th- I think that the I think it starts amazingly well. Yeah. It really is like it's such a strong star. I told you this in email that that I just started recommending it to people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I got like maybe six chapters in, and I'm literally emailing people, being like, "Have you heard of this book? Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. haven't heard of this book, you should read this book." Yeah, like like th- this is this is a book that you should read. And I've I, I I've told a lot of people to read the book, mm-hmm. and and it felt it's. We we were talking about it. We're comparing it to uh, Kurt Vonnegut's Breakfast of Champions. Last mm-hmm. Wait, uh, hang on. For people who didn't listen to last the last episode of Wait What? Oh yeah, I hate the internet. It's a book by Jared Kobeck, who is a friend of the podcast. And to make it clear, Jeff and I appear in the book as does the podcast. <laughs> um, so people who are reading, who are listening to this, and go, "Oh, they're talking about this thing," and then read the book and are like, "Why? What? They didn't say this." We do. Yeah, not we're not even characters as such. Although you you are more than I. I literally get two sentences. Yeah, uh, but 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 the podcast makes an appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, it's a, a a book about well, there's what it's about plot wise, and there's what the book is actually about mm-hmm. plot wise. It's about um, a woman who is. A comic book creator uh, who found success in the 90s uh, under a pseudonym is then revealed later uh, has somewhat of a comic book comeback, but shies away from her fame, who then becomes infamous because of a comment that she makes in a public space that is then shared online. As a result, she starts engaging with the internet um, and that's... Uh, really turns into a mediation on internet celebrity and to my eyes how seductive and yet utterly meaningless it is. Yes. 
but it's also about taking that argument further and the fact that the internet has dramatically changed the way in which people interrelate with each other and the way in which people take other people's uh, existence into consideration, not just emotions, but interrelate with people as people, mm-hmm. as anything other than an abstract concept, um, not even just on screen, but in person. Hmm. The dehumanizing aspects that it has uh, on us mixed in with lots of commentary about how this is not just the internet's fault. Mm-hmm. That the contemporary society, which is in many ways the outgrowth of the American cultural dream, works on dehumanizing people and devaluing people and devaluing their efforts. And and creating a, I don't want to say economy, but I kind of mean economy, mm-hmm. wherein your value as a person is defined by what you do for for the platonic ideal of me, mm-hmm. um, and that's it. <laughs> uh, and within that, that there are certain things that. That also, the game is rigged if you're not a white straight man. Right. If you're not a white straight man, and especially someone with money. Because I think the the part where Jarrett ties us in uh, with his book is talking about – he talks about Jack Kirby. And he he does pull uh, from a discussion that that you and I had uh, basically a comment that the internet, sort of like the comic book – industry uh, runs on a version of essential work for hire that everything that we do on the internet, all it really serves to do is sell things and make rich people richer. And uh, I feel like he makes that point extraordinarily well in, in any number of places. Uh, It's funny, you know, the thing that's hard for me about I hate the internet is uh, like you, I was so, um, so in love with the first half of it, you know, and especially because I feel Jarrett as sort of in, in uh, his role, whether real or feigned as outraged author uh, is kind of trying to make a case for books and for reading books in a way, in, in a very different way than the sort of traditional, like, oh, your minds are rotting, et cetera, et cetera. I like the way that the I Hate the Internet is almost, like I said, it's it's like a replacement internet. You have periods of short descriptions that explain things. There's like the same way that you can sort of the pleasures of trolling through the internet breezily and being able to mix something amusing, a little bit of knowledge that you didn't know before, a bit of insight that makes you reconsider your day, and also being able to look at pictures of people hanging out together and talking about what they ate. You know, in that sense, they're the I hate the internet has all that stuff. The pictures are, you know, uh, painted via uh, language, but you know, it's, it's a really funny book. Like I read it and then 
reread it for our uh, for this talk, and some of the stuff in there that I thought was hilarious the first time, I thought was even more hilarious the second time. So the number of targets that he makes fun of uh, with just a lot of verve and brio for the first half, like I said, really great. It did remind me uh, in that sense of the very sort of simple sentences, but the way the humor and the wit uses those sentences as barbs or uh, uh, invective uh, is really genuinely enjoyable. Unfortunately for me, the second half of the book, well, or maybe by the time you get to the end, there were enough things that didn't congeal or cohere uh, in a way that I really wanted. And I found yeah, uh, the book for me, not only does it just stop, which I can kind of respect from, from the construction of the book. I think for the book to have come to a traditional narrative form of like, and it all ties together would have been insincere and, and at odds with the book, Mm -hmm. but it stops in a moment of uh, broadness, which seems at odds with the rest of the book. Mm-hmm. That it's... I, I kind of want to go into detail, but also don't, because I want people to read the book. But it goes into a moment of parody that is so broad. that Because the rest of the book feels very precise in its cultural references and it and its parody. And then for the particular ending to, that takes place to happen, I remember thinking, because I was reading it digitally, so I didn't realize I was so close to the end. Mm. I remember thinking, oh, that's a really bum note. Right. And it's like the second last page of the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, oh. And, and my first thought was almost that the book stopped there because the, um, the anger that's fueling the book, because the book is an angry book. But the anger fueling the book had taken over, and it had gone from from the precision of of the start. Because I, for all that you say that you know the book is replacing the internet, or the book is showing that 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 narrative prose can perform the same function as the internet. My my cultural lodestones for the start of the book were very much, oh, it's Kurt Vonnegut's Breakfast of Champions redone. As the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, mm, mm-hmm. and and because there is that sense of remove, mm-hmm. there is a sense of I am an outsider who is able to comment on all of this, and th- although I am not um, objective, because the narrator is not objective, the narrator is quite happy to tell you. Oh that yeah, it's up. Mm-hmm. It is nonetheless a. A calm level of fucked up, I guess. A, a calm level of, of subjectivity, mm-hmm. and that intentionally or unintentionally fades as the book goes on. And the last, but but nonetheless remains um, in the form of the narrative voice. And at the end, when the f- you know exactly what I'm talking about happens, I, it it crosses over it from the narrator is is getting angrier to, on a plot level, something is happening that is so angry and unsubtle and and obvious that it really jarred with what it, as with what had come before. 
And I, I really did have that moment of like, that's a, that's a, a, a really bum note to end the book on. Because, because I, 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 I loved the book. Like I genuinely, even with that bum note, and, and I love the book so much that I have since finishing it continually thought, well, here are multiple arguments why the book has to end that way. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, I'm wrong to think that that's a bad way to end the book. Because <laughs> I love the book that much, Jeff. I genuinely did. It, 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 it spoke to me about, um, my fears about the way in which we slash I, uh, are desensitized to language and the way that what we slash I, and that's generic we, not you and I, but specific me, the value that our words have online against others. It spoke to me a lot about my fears about that. It spoke to me a lot about, honestly, being glad I got the fuck out of San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it, you know, I, I, things that I have thought, have felt, um, but also it talks about places that I know. It talks about people that I you know, no analogs of, and so people that I know, you know, Kirby is a character in this book. He's not really the ghost of Kirby is is massively present in this book. You and I actually appear in this book. That's right. Um, so you know, it it felt a very personal book. It felt like a very oh, this book was actually written for me. Right. Oh, you know? believe me. Yeah. And, and it was really hard. I mean, I kept being for the first two thirds. I was very much like, ah, like Edie, you've got to read this. Cause, cause especially for those of us who are still in San Francisco, it is, it is, it is a dead on take of so much of what's happening here and is especially just, just really, just really a brilliant in that regard its ability to capture the city in a particular moment in time that's just continues to unfurl uh but again for me i felt that there were uh yeah there was just i so definitely i def uh, on the one hand part of me is unlike batman versus superman yes i want to say like people should go read it it's just the first half, two thirds of the book. I was like, uh, I wanted to run around and press it into everyone's hands. And by the end of it, I was like, ugh, I wish, sort of, I wish that Jared's editor had argued with him more about certain points and decisions because I thought that they were uh, mistakes. I suppose. I, and interestingly enough, because I know Jared, um, I managed to have the uh, the. When he asked me what I thought and I made sort of a vague reply, he's like, well, what do you mean? Because I've gotten a response like that before. And then so I wrote an email describing why exactly I had the reaction that he did. I did. And he was like, yeah, OK, I see that. But you're kind of wrong. And then went on to describe <laughs> me in all of his various readings as a person who was a character in the book who hated the book. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, so here's the thing. That's that's a funny joke. Uh, yes. Like, like, I wouldn't take that too personally, I guess. No, oh, I don't. No, no, no. I, believe me. I know Jared very well. It's, it's his way of, you know, uh, of skewering me, but part of me is also like, ooh. It's, but, it, but 
I, 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 shall, okay, so shall I give you one of my arguments as to why the book I should in this way and I'm wrong by not liking it? Uh, no, because interestingly enough, I'll tell you one thing. The thing that I had more of a problem with, and, uh, if I can convey this in a way that is not spoilery, is the book very much opens with the idea that there is horrible things are going to come the way that are going to happen to this woman for basically being so careless as to actually express an opinion in a public space and end up on the internet. And I think that if there's one thing that the last few years have taught us, it's that there are a lot of really fucking horrible things that can happen to women uh, who speak freely in that space. And one of the things that I find most frustrating and exasperating about that, about the book is none of that really happens. You know, it starts off with an expectation. And on the one hand, although the book spends a lot of time playing the like, this is a bad book, it, things don't, you know, there's no resolution people uh, suffer and there's no point to it. And yet the fact of the matter is, is that apart from the secondary female character who we see in the book, who goes through a situation that is much more terrible and much closer to that, uh, there's just, how do I put it? There's just not a strong, it's, it's that level of either a, a deliberate choice not to coalesce or not to follow through on the implicit promises at the beginning that strike me as essentially a failure, you know, in a way that... Oh, really? Yeah. Because I've... In a strange way, that is... I don't want to say that is what I like about the book, but I feel that what the book does is... It contrasts the experience of the secondary female character, which even saying that feels wrong because the, if it's the character I think you're talking about, she appears essentially twice in the book yes. in two interludes. Yeah. Um, who does go through something much worse than Adelaide in the main character. Mm -hmm. um, but it's the main character's um, refusal to do anything but play the game that makes the book so interesting to me. Because the book does set up the premise that uh, women online are fucked. And then goes on to tell the story about a woman who doesn't believe that. Whether because she thinks she knows better, or just that she doesn't understand that women online are fucked. Um, and who tries to play the internet at its own game, and in the process, honestly just loses sight of herself. It, thereby illustrating another way in which women online are fucked. So you have, you have in the, if you will, B-plot, the illustration of, of what the book sets out at the, at the very first chapter. But the A-plot is, this is a story of what someone who, who refuses to believe that does. And they, 
they, they, I was going to say they arguably end up worse. They do end up worse. Mm. Mm. Because I, I feel that the – you don't have to agree, Jeff. Right. Uh, but I feel that the the main character uh, – saying loses her moral compass is a complicated construct because it's arguably that she doesn't have one to begin with. Um but definitely loses sight of her core values. Whereas I think that the secondary character does lose her moral compass and does lose sight of herself, but then regains it by realizing how ephemeral the internet actually is in the grand scheme of things. And so the contrast of the two stories is particularly important, but telling the least expected one is more interesting to me. Well, I don't think there has to be a most expected version of it. I just feel because there was actually there was a point. Well, but if the book if the book sets out and says this is what happens, and then tells you the other story mm-hmm. while telling you that this is what happens story in the background. Okay, no? actually, but see, this is my thing. There was actually a point where I thought that Jarrett was going in one direction. Uh, well, the, apart from the direction, there was a, there's an uh, an event that happens that you and I should really talk about offline because it is it is far too spoilery. Um, where I was like, oh, okay, he pulled it off. This is what he did, and this and he did it this way. This this is how this all works out, and this does open up the thing and do a very unexpected bit and yet ties together everything thematically. I'm like, Oh, that's perfect. And then it ends up not to have happened. And I was like, Oh, Oh, okay. Okay. Well then I am disappointed. And I don't really even feel like that is a moment where I got a, you know, where I'm too in love with my own theory. It just seemed like, Oh, this is a very natural element. That's sort of where I, you know, why I bring in the whole idea of Jared's editor into the whole concept. Because for me, I'm like, oh yeah, I really feel like that would have been a nice way to make everything happen that would have satisfied a, like a reader like me, for example. But I have to admit there is a level of, um, I don't have a lot of patience with unfinished narratives in books, unless there's a specific, design or reason to them i mean it sounds ridiculous for me to talk up say that considering gravity's rainbow is like probably my very favorite book but a lot of the other ones i quite like are absolutely books that vanish or um you know sort of melt away in your hands but Mm -hmm. there's ways in which i think that when that's done well i appreciate it and there's ways in which when it's done in a way that I don't think is well or is necessary weirdly uh, I get very cranky Uh, it's funny at one point a character in the book or maybe the narrative themselves takes a slam at David Foster Wallace's infinite jest Uh, and I thought that was actually pretty amusing because in some ways my frustration at finishing Infinite Jest was somewhat similar to finishing I Hate the Internet in that I felt that the author was 
taking the easy way out on themselves and passing it off as a lesson to the reader, you know? And I, I, I'm not a fan of that. So, so I, I ended up not in, not enjoying it in the place of the book itself. But that being said, a lot of the book is pretty hilarious and it's probably going to be a long time before you and I pop up in a, in a, in a book this good again. So I definitely feel like people should read it. Yeah. I, I, it, despite the fact that I don't like the, the ending and interestingly enough, one of the, um, this is why I'm wrong theories is that exactly what I don't like about it is an attempt to, um, fast forward the societal collapse into a narrative collapse. So the book goes from parody to self parody in order to not be a book without an ending as you were complaining about, which, uh, which even, you know, even as I thought it, I was like, I think you're trying too hard to justify what didn't work. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, you right. come up, you're like, oh, no, I, I, you know, this, this must work. I must be wrong. Maybe it's this. And then this voice in your back head is like, no, no, I, I, I think you're trying to, I think you're stretching. Yeah. Um, right. But even with that, it's, it's still a book that because the opening had just like gut punch to me. Then I'm still like, oh no, people should read it. Pe- people should read this book. Um, because even, even a book that doesn't ultimately live up to its own promise, when it has such promise at the start, is something that you should read. Especially because who knows for other people, what doesn't work for us could completely work for them. And I think there's so much in this book. And, it's, and that it's actually trying to say really important things about really important things. Mm-hmm. That that it just it really is a book where I'm just like, no, read the fucking book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I, I will I will second that. So let's let's uh, let's let's wrap it up there. People, read the fucking book. Go grab a copy from your independent bookseller. Uh, it's on Amazon. Uh, there's a f- number of ways that you can get it, and you you should. We'll we'll have a also, link to it in our show notes, certainly. If you're on Twitter, seeing the title of the book I've discovered over the last couple of weeks means you automatically get retweeted by the bot. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the I Hate the Internet bot is actually pretty funny to uh, to to watch in action. So, Graham, should we talk about, like, comic book comic books? Are there uh, okay, well, Have you read thing, stuff? Have you talked? Yeah, mm, yes. There's one other thing that we should talk about that people uh, brought up on Twitter, which is, do you have any opinions about the DC Rebirth uh, creative teams? Oh, yeah, 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 right. The Rebirth thing, yeah. Um, hmm. First you of know, all, did uh-huh. you watch the press conference last week? Oh, no, absolutely not. Yeah, no. But uh, you did. You were live tweeting it, and I enjoyed, yeah. li- I enjoyed uh, reading your live tweet. to see that DC has uh, followed the image into the Apple keynote address. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although there was a, uh, they did move things along by having chairs. <laughs> <laughs> That's the innovation, people. Um. Do you have do you have anything to say about the teams? Like, is there, is there anything that stuck out to you? Are there any books that you're like, oh, I'm interested in that now? Or alternatively, what? <laughs> uh, let me think. 
Uh, I think just my general reactions are that uh, I'm I'm a little worried about Tom King uh, writing Batman, although I'm looking forward to it. I'm also a little worried about it. It seems sort of silly. Uh, I thought that Greg Rucka's return to Wonder Woman was bittersweet for me because it kind of seems like in order for it to happen – Marguerite Bennett had to be treated like Greg Rucka, you and, know? Yeah. That's the thing. Like, I've wanted Greg Rucka back on Wonder Woman since he, he was basically forced off the book. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's happened, again, if the rumors are to be believed, mm-hmm. you know, who knows if they are, but history and experience <laughs> suggest that it's not unlikely. But yeah, if it's if it's true that Marguerite Bennett was basically given the job and then taken it away from her, Mm-hmm. That's shitty. I'd, I have to say, the fact that Marguerite Bennett is not in any of the books, the fact that Tom Taylor isn't in any of the books, and the fact that Brendan Fraser in particular, mm-hmm. not Brendan Fraser, was it? Is it Brendan Fraser? The guy who writes Catwoman, Brendan Fletcher. Oh, Brendan Fletcher, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who writes Black Canary. He's not in any of the books. Is, isn't he? I it's thought he Jane. was. No. He's oh. probably on Gotham Academy when Gotham Academy comes back, but that's it. Mm. Like, if he was writing Black Canary... Batgirl and Gotham Academy. Well, it's very interesting to me because I was talking about this very briefly with Brian Hibbs at Comics Experience on Thursday night. And uh, he said, and I do not know to what extent this was actually true or not. uh, He was like, yeah, you know, Cameron Stewart and Fletcher and Babstar, they were let go from Batwoman. They didn't quit. They were they were canned like. And I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, the books, the books looked like they were going to sell. Then they didn't sell. Then they let them go. That was pretty much it. And I'm like, I'm not sure if that's true. But of course, Hibbs is much better connected than I am. And he didn't cite a source. And I have no idea if it's just his general opinion. I'm, I'm skeptical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Yeah. That'll be interesting to track down the truth of, because that's definitely not the rumor that I've heard. Ah, interesting. Okay, well, so... But, but again, that doesn't mean anything. He, yeah. He could write. Well, we we probably won't know. But I part of me is kind of like, if that's really the case, then I don't understand why they're bringing Hope Larson onto Batgirl, because what it looks like she's doing seems very much like a spiritual continuation of what Stuart and Tar and Fletcher were trying to do. Yeah. So part of me is like, that doesn't quite make sense. Of course, I've heard rumors that uh, Cameron Stewart and Babs Tar are going to be announcing something at the Image Expo. Well, uh, the two of them and Brendan Fletcher are all appearing together at the Image Expo. Yeah. So kind of suggests they have an image book, Jeff. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But so... But that's very much, uh, you know, uh, we don't know. We don't know ch- where the where the chicken or the egg is in that particular situation. I don't think, which is fine. Again, like I said, the idea Hope Larson writing Batgirl is really interesting to me. I w- the fact that Super Sons doesn't have a creative team announced is my understanding is really interesting to me and not in a good way. Uh, yeah. I think that. 
DC, just my general take on things, like I said, the bittersweet thing about Rucka and the idea that it just sort of seems like maybe there's the biweekly publication schedule gives me a certain amount of pause um, just because I think there are some of those titles don't necessarily, I'm not sure they can justify bi-weekly sales but oh, i could be yeah. wrong you know yeah i i i'll be even though the green lantern like there's been four green lantern books for quite some time mm-hmm. i still don't think a bi-weekly green lantern and a bi-weekly green lanterns mm-hmm. book is is a good idea yeah <laughs> at all <laughs> yeah yeah i i i don't i don't think so either frankly uh i think that's someone who loves green lantern sure sure i mean i just don't think i don't think i'm not sure there's going to be the sales that are going to justify a bi-weekly suicide squad title you know i i don't by the time the film comes out with jim lee on art yeah there is maybe Sure. I, that okay. said, I can't wait to see the sales difference between the Jim Lee issues and the Philip Tan issues. <laughs> I just, I just, I also have no confidence that Jim Lee is going to live up to that commitment. I just don't. I mean, I'm sort of like, yeah, he'll like, be almost, there. Almost certainly, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> first arc and gone, right? Yeah, I would think I so, mean, too. What, what's, what's fascinating is uh, Nicholas Scott really quickly after the announcement was like, I'm doing six issues of Wonder Woman and I'm off the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I do wonder, like, how many artists is that true of? Like, yeah. how much actually on that book for? Right. Well, I, I... On the one hand, I could quite believe he's on for the long term. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I could also quite believe he's on for 12 issues. I am... I, I do think that one of the things that is problematic for me is that... I feel that there's too much of this, which is DC taking some pages from the Marvel handbook precisely around the time that I feel that the Marvel, the Marvel handbook, Hey, I don't mean the real Marvel handbook. I mean the Marvel playbook, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I just realized I'm like, that sounds wrong out of context. Uh, but actually take pages from the Marvel playbook just at a time where that playbook is really sort of starting to not work in the marketplace. And I think DC's kind of plan of like, Hey, but we haven't done this before. And and therefore it's going to be special is um, I'm not entirely sure. Like I'm not entirely sure that that's going to, to work for them. I sort of hope that it does, but there are ways in which I'm very much like, Rebirth, watching the announcement, seeing those, seeing those titles and the people that are on the titles, I'm like, it kind of seems about as slapped together, quickly slapped together as the new 52 was. And I feel like that is the one thing that, apart from too many titles, one of the biggest mistakes that the new 52 had was that it was launched too quickly, uh, and in and in such a rush to get everything out there that it received a tremendous amount of interest and then proceeded to have that interest kind of fall apart because people were paying attention, I guess. Yeah, you know, that, like, so. it, it's my my feeling about watching the press conference were was was multifold. One of which was I love the Jeff Johns as clearly as uncomfortable as public speaking as I am. <laughs> uh, 
also, it feels very much like this would have been a great version of the New 52. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, But it feels like that. It yeah. doesn't feel like anything beyond that. It doesn't feel like the next generation. It feels like, oh, that would have been a great New 52, which is, which is a problem. You know, because I feel like, for better or worse, DCU did feel like something else. Mm-hmm. And this very much feels like, and then we return, mm-hmm. you know, and and I am, I am the target audience for these books, mm-hmm. you know. But if I'm like, yay, Greg Rock is back on Wonder Woman because I loved his run ten years ago, yeah, and that's my takeaway. That's that's a problem. Well, or even you know, I part of me is like, I'm ex. Ooh. I'm Are you excited, Jeff? I right, exactly. Well see, and that's it. Am I really excited by Tom King being on Batman? Like I I should be. I really right. should be. I, I, you know. I liked I like Tom King. I like Mikhail Yannon. I like seeing them together in Grayson. Do I want to see them do Batman though? Ah. Right. Right. You know. I, I don't know. I mean Tom King is really the stuff that he's doing on the vision and Sheriff of Babylon. And even before I fell at least three issues behind on Omega men, really interesting stuff and really idiosyncratic and unique putting him on Batman could, could very well pay off huge, or it could kind of be a massive disaster because, but not even a disaster. Putting him on Batman feels like a waste. Because King, I think, really is good at idiosyncratic stuff. And I feel like Batman's going to succeed no matter what. And I'd love to see King do something more idiosyncratic. Well, I mean, let's put it this way. Like King doing Doom Patrol? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so my thing is is that I feel like the the strongest thing going on for King of uh, doing Batman is is a little bit of that... Kind of when you've got the uh, indie actor or the actor in indie films who, like, takes on a big budget, you know, mainstream uh, picture and then... Jesse Eisenberg doing Lex Luthor, for example. Right. You know, that kind of idea of, like, oh, suddenly they're sort of a mainstream uh, star and they've got their heat and they're able to actually launch their projects. Because the fact of the matter is is that um, Tom King's great. His books don't sell. His books are not selling in the marketplace uh, very well at all. Yeah. yeah. You know? And part of me is like, hey, if Batman turns him into, you know, sort of the next Scott Snyder, that bodes really well for what happens when Tom King goes to Image you know, t- two years down the line or three years down the line, you know, or even if he keeps his stuff at Vertigo, it just means to me that it's like, okay, that, that, that could be great for him. But my worry is, is that King, you know, a lot, a lot of people have spent a lot of uh, t- time and uh, column inches arguing, uh, talking about why Tom King is great and it it is not necessarily translated into sales, you know? So there is part of me that's a little worried. Also, the fact is that I think it's very easy to overlook the fact that for me, it's, as you may recall, back when, when uh, the new 52 was launching, I was absolutely 500% confident that Batman was going to be huge. 
not because of Scott Snyder, but because of Greg Capullo. I was like, Greg Capullo on Batman yeah, is I, something. I remember. Yeah, it's waiting to happen, and it is going to blow up. And I think that that's you cannot understate how important the Batman artist is on a Batman title. And Mikhail, you're not excited about David Finch? <laughs> yeah, I really am not. I don't know. Maybe King and Finch will play really well together. I honestly can't see it. I, I because, really because Finch is Finch is staggeringly unsubtle. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I was rereading his uh, Justice League of America issues with Jeff Johns, which uh-huh. also should be pointed out. He lasted three months in that book. <sighs> yeah, and then he was off. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, there's character acting, and it's Jeff Johns' character acting. So we are not talking dramatically subtle stuff here. Yeah. Um, that he just fails to sell. He just cannot for the life of him sell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, it's true. There's just something with Finch. He's just not, it's weird to me because if you sort of rewound the clock, you know, 10, 15 years and asked me to pick between Finch and Tony Daniel, I would have been like, oh yeah, David Finch, come on. You know, it's like I at least if I'm going to pick a Jim Lee clone, I'm going to at least pick the Jim Lee clone that can finish his drawing, you know, but (laughs) no, as time goes on, I, I, there is just something about Finch's stuff that just doesn't, I don't know. It just, it just, it really doesn't fry my burger. And what's interesting to me is, is that it seems like a huge car crash of uh, differences between him and Mikhail Yanin. And I think uh, that... Yeah, can we talk about that? If you watched the press conference, you saw Jim Lee talk about the fact that each art, each book has two art teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says something along the lines of like, we wanted art teams that complemented each other. Mm-hmm. And I, I, almost every dueling art team does not complement each other at all. Mm-hmm. Jim mm-hmm. Lee and Philip Tan do, do not have even vaguely similar complementary styles. Yeah. Finch and Yannin, not in the slightest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Superman ha- Superman actually does. Superman is uh, Doug Mankey and Pat Gleason. Yes, and that was the one where I was – actually, that was the one because it's basically the Batman and Robin team on Superman. I'm, yeah, I'm with, like – with Doug Mankey as well. Yeah. And also Pat, Pat Gleason's co-writing, cool which I really like. <laughs> Right. So part of me is like, that's, that one is going to be, that's probably the one that was the most tempting for me, just because but, I'm uh, in that stage actually, of picking stuff up for the art. Um, Justice League with Brian Hitch writing and, uh, Tony Daniel drawing. Yeah. That seems like an like, epic car like, crash. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that team staggers me. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, and there's a bunch of them. Action Comics with Dan Jurgens writing. And I say this as someone who does not hate Dan Jurgens. Right. But you give Action Comics to Dan Jurgens? <laughs> what? Well, I, I, I even, think... Even with the gimmick that it's the older Superman that Jurgens has been writing about. Yeah. With that gimmick. I can't believe you're giving Action Comics to Dan Jurgens. Um, I, am, hmm. I am, I am stunned. I think that, and it's weird because I, as you know, I do dislike Dan Jurgens heavily. Part of me is kind of 
sort of the same way that Marvel has kind of created, you know, almost by mandate, like there's got to be this many Spider-Man titles. They sort of began creating kind of a different Spider-Man title for a different reader. So the idea is like, if there's a, if there's a version of Spider-Man that you like, you're going to be able to find it here. Uh, I sort of, part of me does appreciate the idea that there is, they have enough faith in Jurgens and the idea that enough people really did sort of holler and pine for the DC, I don't know how to describe the new, the pre new 52 version of Superman that, that, and especially the Superman defined by that era of the nineties that they're going to give it to Jurgens. Part of me is like, okay. I mean, as long as you're going to have six Superman titles or whatever the fucking fuck it is, which it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. So there's going to be action twice Mm -hmm. monthly. Superman, twice monthly. Right. Um, Trinity, which I think is just monthly. Um, there's going to be Superwoman. There's going to be Supergirl. Uh, there's going to be new Superman. Right. And there's going to be Super Sons. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that is, I mean, part of me is like, okay, some of that is super family hijinks that we've seen before. Minus well, the hey, Super Sons, think, which who knows? Look at know. Spider-Man right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If Marvel can make Spider-Man work with that number of titles. Yeah, but Graham, I'm so sorry. I do think that Spider-Man is, is oh, a Spider- little Spider-Man bit different. Is much more successful. Exactly. And part of me is like, and they're barely making it work. So part of me is like, I don't really know if that's I, going yeah, to, I, you know I, what I mean? Yeah. The this, this Superman expansion is, is amazing. Mm-hmm. Is amazing to me. Uh, and either DC knows something we don't, <laughs> um, or they're just honestly prepared to let these titles go 12 issues and then cancel them, mm-hmm. which I kind of would not be surprised at. You know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were looking at Superwoman and New Superman at least as like, we'll get a couple of trades and then we'll be done. Well, so here, so definitely for the the monthlies, I think that makes sense. But of course, when you're doing a bi-weekly title, that means you've got to, you know, you're basically 24 issues in, you know. Uh, so, yeah. so I think they're committed to well, 24 issues. Action it, which... is going to continue no matter what, because mm-hmm. action is going to continue until issue a thousand. Sure, there is no way they'll let action die before then. Well, but until again, he might not be on it. He he might be thrown off, and they're like, "Oh, look, now it's fuck knows." Stephen King is writing Superman, <laughs> and you know, fuck, name an artist is drawing it. Do you know what I mean? Like, but action's going to continue no matter what. Sure. No, yeah, of course they're not going to turn around and Super cancel Sons. these titles. It's Super just. Sons is- Super Sons is gone in a year. <laughs> yeah, well, it's such a shame because I, I'm, that's the title I'm the most interested in, so therefore it's, I'm, I, I also have heard the rumored creative team for mm-hmm. it. So I, it, it's, it could be like, it could be super interesting. The rumored creative team, for those who haven't heard, is that it's, um, Chris Burnham and Dennis Culver as writers. And, wow. uh, Jorge Jimenez, Jorge Jimenez from Earth to Society as artists. Hmm. Which is great. 
because mm-hmm. you and I have both talked about how much we liked Ease for Extensions exactly mm-hmm. from Secret Wars, who's and that's the writing team. Yeah, and uh, Jorge Jimenez from Earth to Society is a great superhero artist. I mean, is a why isn't this guy on a higher profile book superhero artist? Well, that's that's a relief. Now, the rumor I also heard was that it's going to be. Damien and oh, they, they showed preview art. It's not a rumor. It's Damien and it's uh, John Kent from Lois and Clark. Ah, okay, thank you. Which is you know again super interesting because unless and again I've not really been following the Lois and Clark series, but unless there's been a time jump, mm-hmm. uh, John Kent's like five years old. <laughs> so D- Damien is what eleven. Right. John Kent is five. Oh, man. I hope they actually keep that. I'm just sort of like... That, if they, that could be a wacky as shit. Honestly, if... I mean, it could be great. If Culver, really could be great. If Culver and Burnham basically turn it into, like, some insane version of Power Pack for the DCU, I think I think people well, if, would be, like, if, all over it. Yeah, and um, and Jorge Jimenez would be the perfect artist for that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he, he's... I'm trying to think about... Imagine if you had... Uh, Olivier Koipel mm-hmm. uh, crossed wow. with a Pat Gleason. Mm-hmm. That's that's the sort of energy he brings to it. Wow! And so okay. that would be a like that would be a perfect artist for that book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, oh yeah! But, look at this. We'll, we'll see if we'll see if that's that's what the book is. Because again, there was no creative team, and there was not even preview art for Justice League of America. Wow! Yeah, yeah, which. Did, Mentioned the Earth 2 book that they, they had announced and is now, I don't even know if it's still on the solicitations. So, I don't know. I don't, I don't know, Jeff. Comics. <laughs> Comics. Hey, I, I should give you a heads up just because we're almost ready to leave. I want to say in a lot of ways, because uh, I just picked it up and, and read it today, I liked the second issue of Power Man and Iron Fist much more than I liked the first. I'm still run kind of hot and cold in on it, but I was less coolish about it. I would be kind of curious to have you check it out because I suspect you jumped off after issue one like you said you would. I did. Yeah. yeah and see see what you think. Maybe I, maybe I should hook you up with the digital uh, copy of this issue so that you can... No, I'll, I'll, I'll just buy it, Jeff. I'll just... Ah, what the heck? I have, I have spent the week reading in terms of comics mm-hmm. <laughs> from the library. I got this first two volumes of JSA omnibus out. Did Jesus. you even know this existed, Jeff? No, I did not. It reads like me, JSA omnibus volumes one and two. You're reading 100 issues of justice society of America. Wow. It is the first 75 issues of the JSA series. that's written by David Goyer and Jeff Johns. I was going to ask. Plus the, uh, JSA all-star series. Plus the All-Star Comics Prelude series, plus the Secret Origins 2 issues, plus two annuals, plus the Hogman crossovers. <whistles> plus the uh, JLA JSA graphic novel. Wow. That's an amazing amount of stuff. Uh, and it's like when you read it in a week, like I did. Whoa! <laughs> I have to say, the the Johns Goyer stuff was probably some of my favorite stuff being published by DC when it was coming out. it's great. Like, when it's good, it's great. When Mm -hmm. it's not good, it's it's actually every cliche about Jeff Johns that Mm -hmm. that people say. 
But um, but when it's great, it's great. And and also when it's great, it's like DC Universe, the comic. Yeah, right. You know, they're like, it's the JSA, but they're also going back in time. And look, there's Metamorpho. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, here's Ultra Humanite, but here's also the Justice League. And you do feel like like it, it's everything and it all connects, mm-hmm. which is, is really nice. And is, is something, ironically, it's missing from DC now. And yeah, it, that's yeah. what Jeff Johns thinks he can bring back with Rebirth. God bless him. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I it, it is one of the things that is interesting to me is that even as with with the new 52 Jeff Johns has because he can only do two titles and he's got a million other things and a, a million other media that he's trying to trying to do there are times where I'm sort of like yeah I it, I do feel like one of the the real shames is how much John's sort of disappeared because even, I don't know, you know, like it was like it was, he was writing more comics before he ascended to true architecthood. And I felt like he gave DC something, you know, that certainly I enjoyed, but also like provided a really kind of, I don't know, like just a really good exemplar of, sort of how to make DC the DCU work, you know? Because yeah. I I usually always found his stuff very entertaining and even when it was like goofy and his shit and in some cases outright ridiculous, uh you know, I didn't I I didn't mind any of that half so much as the sort of cavalier brutality that kept coming back up in the work. Uh and yet, overall, it was, you know, it was highly readable stuff. So, I don't know. It's, I do, I don't know where, how DC, the DC Rebirth shakes out, but I'm fascinated by the idea that it's going to be a Mako, it's still going to have, it's going to have, it seems like it's going to have as much Scott Snyder's influence on it as it's going to have johns's and i think that that's a weird mix i suppose because i just i'm not sure i'm not sure snyder is going to certainly after discussing superman unchained with you i i'm kind of like i'm not sure how well snyder is going to work outside the batman wheelhouse and really uh unfortunately i didn't get time to finish them in time to discuss them so we'll have to hold off till next time but i've got the last several issues of Batman and Robin eternal um, waiting. And as I was making my way through it, I'm like, yeah, you know, like this is Scott Snyder's name is on this. How much do I really, should I be thinking of this as a Scott Snyder story? You know? Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I, I dropped off that series and honestly, I feel kind of good about that. Um, you bastards. You and Matt Turrell are both bastards because you were both like, oh, I'm into it. I'm so into it. It's me. It's crazy. I like it. Oh, my God. This is so good. And then I'm like, once again. got comps of the first half of the series, Jeff. Yeah. You're both butts is all I have to say. We are both butts. It's true. Um, But what I was going to say. Oh, sorry. About JSA Omnibus. James Tynan's. Uh, detective. Hmm. Are you not? Am am I what? 
What was the question? Curious about James Tynan's detective run? No, I'm not curious. I'm not curious. I, cause I, 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 I like the idea of, let's be brutally honest, Batman Family the comic. Uh, good. I'm glad you didn't like it enough to pick up Batman and Robin Eternal past whatever someone gave you for free. So, oh gosh, it's true. If it is like that, I, I for some reason thought it'd be more focused. But if it is, if it is like that, then yeah, yeah. maybe not. Yeah, because I mean, I think that's it. I was kind of like, oh yeah, James three and four. You know, when walking into this, I was like, oh yeah, okay, he's you know, he did Batman Eternal. He had a good chunk of it. I really suspect he's going to take those lessons that he learned, and I. You know, I, I don't really, I'm like, I don't think so. I just, for myself, that guy may be doing great work on some other comic that I'm not paying attention to, like, I don't know, The Woods, or is that the name of his boom comic, or what's the name of yeah. his boom comic? Yeah. You know, but I just, I'm like, there's really just not enough there there. I think he's probably a really... Awesome guy, you know, in terms of like, he's super nice. He hits all of his deadlines. He extends himself really well, you know, but, but I, I'm officially at the point of finding him profoundly uninteresting. Um, and so, yeah, so no detective has no interest in me for me. I, I'm not even really sure. Part of me is like, did you read Batman 50 or no? No, uh, no. <laughs> I, Jeff, have I read anything that came out this week? No. Have I read Justice Society comics that came out 16 years ago? Yes, Yes, I have. yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. I know for that matter, fucking Captain Britain comics that came out when I was born. Oh, really? Off of Marvel uh, Unlimited? Or? Oh, no, like, I, I have from the library the um, Captain Britain Volume 1, Birth of a Legend. Wow. Uh, Captain Britain Volume 2, with I think it's called Sword of Camelot. Uh, and then the Captain Britain Omnibus. Or, to put it another way, every appearance of Captain Britain between his creation and Excalibur. Whoa. Wow. People who want to join me on the insanity that is that, uh, I will be returning to references for the website about this. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Well, that, that sounds, I, I think, cause you're starting to sound a little fuzzy and part of me is like, we hit our two hour mark. I think maybe we should dangle that as a teaser. And then, <laughs> yes. And Ned's time though. Yes. It's a Baxter building. It is. It is a Baxter building. And believe me, ladies and gentlemen, we have no idea when we're going to record it. So that's something that we get to talk about. I think once, <laughs> yeah, exactly once... in a second. We'll yeah. talk about that when we stop recording. Uh, maybe it's next week. Maybe it's the week after. Yeah. Actually, it'll be in the show notes, right? We'll have to yeah, it'll be in the show notes. But I think generally we we uh, we pledge, we, we dearly uh, beseech your patience because I think there is a very good chance that we may end up uh, taking – taking our usual end of the month skip week a little bit early and then come back for, for a very strong finish to the month. I suspect we'll see, see what happens. Uh, Graham, do you want to tell everybody, you know, things and stuff? Hopefully I'm not sounding too fuzzy so that you can make out the fact that we are a, a Patreon supported podcast because I'm going to start with this just to throw Jeff off. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> 
Wow, should I go with something else to get? No, 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 go with it, go with it. That is, okay, that is we're Patreon supported podcast, which means Jeff. Oh, which means that uh, uh, what does it mean? Well, basically, it means that <laughs> thanks to the support of 119 amazing people, uh, we are able to provide this sort of quality to you three weeks a month, uh, including the Baxter building, our uh, monthly read through of the fantastic, the original 416 issues of the fantastic four. And uh, in that regard, we are especially grateful to the kind crew over at American ninth art studios for their continuing support of the wait, what podcast. And uh, we also have a continuing thanks to go out to Empress Audrey, queen of the galaxy. Uh, but, all every all of the patrons and all of our listeners we appreciate you tremendously um you know we continue to do this crazy podcast and generally be incredibly fired up about it uh which is great because um you know Graham is actually pretty on point but I'm a huge flake and I don't know if I could have managed to keep doing What's rapidly going to be our 200th uh, podcast, depending on how you count, um, very soon. And that's all thanks to you. So thank you. Uh, Graham, did you want to let people know where else they might find us on the Internet? I do. But before I do that, I want to say that, ladies and gentlemen, mark the date. Because that is the first time Jeff has said that he literally just does this for the money. (laughs) That is not what I'm saying. Okay, fine. You can also find us. Uh, com, the website where the written posts about me diving into Captain Britain's sordid, and I swear to God, that is an appropriate term, comic wow. book past, uh, can mm. be found, as well as written posts by Jeff Lester, by Matt Terrell, and also show notes for these very episodes and the Baxter Building episodes, all at waitwhatpodcast.com. Yes. Waitwhatpod.tumblr.com mm-hmm. is the Tumblr where... Myself and occasionally Jeff throw up random comic images, mm-hmm. uh, depending on what we're feeling at that time. Apart from, if this goes live on the Monday, uh, something else that you guys can find that I beseech you to go and read. Not because it is deathless prose by either of us. Spoilers, it's not. But it's a link to something that I think um, all of you should read. I will say no more, Ooh. other than telling you to go to wait what pod tumblr.com mm. we are also on twitter at wait what podcast jeff is on twitter solo at lazy bastard at l-a-z-y-b-a-s-t-i-d i'm on twitter solo at graham m at g-r-a-e-m-e-m yes and i think that is it right it is although i can i put in a request graham for the tumblr uh i have to say sure. that on on graham's tumblr uh, which I hope he doesn't mind me spoiling the existence of Graham. Shut up. <laughs> ran uh, probably oh, Spi- Spider- my Michael? favorite Spider-Man comic of. I should read. I should read the last few years, and I would love to have that over on on. I, I suspect people will. Arguably, more people will see it over at Wait What. If nothing else, yeah. it certainly suits oh, our sir. purpose. And also, uh, I think that's. Uh, I, I suspect that many people will already have seen it because it was doing the rounds around Tumblr already. Yeah. It's um, Hat Blumenreich, Blum, I want to say is how you pronounce her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, just a gorgeous, like, 
wonderfully human Spider-Man comic that she threw up on there. Yeah. It's, and it's, it, it's just lovely. It's just it, really lovely. It's, it is a, it's a four page Spider-Man story that is, like you said, very human, really lovely. And honestly is the, <sighs> such a fine example. I don't even think that it intends to be, but such a great example of, why maybe it would be a good idea to have somebody other than 45 year old men writing our biggest superheroes in the industry, you know, cause <laughs> yes, cause it not only was it just a great recognizable Peter Parker, Spider-Man, but it was also a Spider-Man that, uh, is as much a creature of the 21st century as, as Spider-Man should be, I think, you know, so uh, I enjoyed it tremendously, and I was because re- I am I am Tumblr impaired. Was super happy when Graham posted it. So I would I would love to. Have it's people on the Tumblr right now. Yes, which means if you go to waitwhatpod.tumblr.com, you will know exactly when Jeff and I recorded this. Oh my God! Really? You just cross posted? I, I literally just put it up right now. Oh, you are the best. That is fabulous. Yeah. So people who are curious about the uh, the Tumblr post that went live at nine twelve p.m. <laughs> Saturday, April 2nd. <laughs> That's what we're recording. Yep, exactly. Now you know. Now it can be told. Yeah. Anyway, those are the places we are, people. And I hope you find us at all of those places. And say hello, because we are but, but shy and lonely people. Actually, <laughs> I'm going to find the description of the podcast from that book. Oh, yeah, definitely do. Because if there's one thing that should end this episode, it should be the description of Wait What Podcast from I Hate the Internet by Jared Kovic. Mm-hmm. Question is, can I find it? It's, not, it's like page 185, if you're going by... Oh, pages. God, I really hope it's exactly page 185. Come on, find page 185. Is it one page? No, I, I want to say it might be earlier, but let's see, 185... Yeah, unless you've got oh, shit. additional... It's exactly 185! Yeah. <laughs> okay. Graham McMillan and Jeff Lester were partners in an internet podcast called Wait Watts. Neither man had any eumelanin in the basal strata of their epid- epidermises. I'm not going to read the next bit because it's going to require too much explanation, but I will instead skip to... The word podcast was a shitty neologism, neologism even, with the generalized meaning of an audio program distributed over the internet. In the case of Wait Watts, the program was two guys talking about comic books for two-hour chunks of time. This concept would appear to be terrible. Who wants to hear comic book guys talk about talk to each other about comic books? I'm just going to leave it there, because that is entirely appropriate. Oh, no, I won't! Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. A part that comes later. Um, Jeff Lester was a master in the art of rambling, a conversational shambler from the stars. I read that to Kate, by the way, and she applauded. <laughs> McMillan was concise and insightful, no, and tormented by having dedicated so much of his life to comic books. Yes. <laughs> that is so funny because I actually thought, well, you are concise and insightful, but I hadn't really considered you as tormented. I, like, I was like, I'm not sure if that's an accurate uh, summation of a grant, but you know what? I you know what? I th- I think it is in a weird way that I am also gleeful about it. <laughs> okay, well, I think that's fair because I feel like over the years I felt like, I, and there's no escaping my my designation as the the rambler, but uh, I 
I feel like I was a little more tormented and you have been more gleeful. So I kind of thought that that was like, I'm like, but yes. Yes. That's part of the book people that we were talking about. And that's, that's just one reason why you guys should read it. Yeah, absolutely. So particularly when you think about the fact that Jonathan Lethem has read this book and therefore in theory, read that paragraph. Yeah. Brett Easton Ellis uh, read this book and therefore actually read that sequence. Uh, yeah, the best part is you know all those people thought we were fictional. Yes, which is one of the great things. Although, I don't know. They may may just decide they don't give a crap, which is also fine. Because uh, what is I great about it, I hate the internet. Imagine Latham had l- listened to an episode of this podcast. Oh, okay. All right. I have to go now. That's a little too too much. I have to. And on that bombshell. <laughs> We'll be back either in a week or two weeks. Uh, yes. Jeff and I are literally about to discuss this right now. Yeah. People, thank you very much for listening. Your kindness and patience with us, particularly the patience, is very much appreciated. And with that, I say, bye! bye! Okay, we're not done. Because we've just talked, and we have decided that we are not doing this week. We're doing two weeks. So the Bax Building, Jeff, is in two weeks. That's right. If people, do you remember offhand, Graham, which issues people are supposed to read? Some. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's so book. funny. That's exactly what I thought. Because, uh, yeah. I do not remember. Uh, 126 on. through 133? That's, that's probably right. But let me check. Because okay. I can just check the internet. The internet will tell me. Um, we are doing... Oh, motherfucker. I didn't actually... I didn't write in. No, no. It's... <laughs> I'm a dick to my past me is a dick to my future self. Um, I, it, it is, right? It's it's 125 through... No, we finished 124 and 125 really quickly. We didn't get to 126, which was a bummer because right. it was... One, it is. It's 126 through... 130... I'm going to say we said 132, but I think it might be 133 that we meant. Okay. Because we're, we were trying not to do a cliffhanger, right? That's right. Yeah, That's 133. Right. Okay. 133 does not end with a cliffhanger. That. Okay, 126 through 133. See, and now's the point where I hope that no one switched off after I went, bye! Especially after I had that cute, bye! That was the best! I was like, oh my god, Cram McMillan, showman. I thought that was, right?